I know Brother John would be proud the way everybody uh, filled in. I'm sure you jumped in there this morning and jumped there tonight. So thank you, Clint, and all the ones, Brad, the choir, and everybody. And uh, I want to say thank you for allowing me to be here. Uh, Meadowbrook just has such wonderful memories for me. Every time I see somebody from Meadowbrook or come to Meadowbrook, I just have this uh, joy or this encouragement from all the memory moments that I have here, and they're good ones. In fact, a scripture verse to go with that, Philippians 1.3, Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and that's the way I do. And so thank you for thank you for your investment in me. Just a little update, I am pastor, First Baptist Church of Centerpoint. We had 131 whites this morning, and we had 100 Anglos, that's what we call them. We had 100 Hispanics, I mean. We had 131 whites and 100 Anglos, but we're all serving the same Lord. So we had 231, so that's about the size we are. Now, it is hard in our community. Uh, we, our average age for vacation Bible school was 72. So we're a little bit older than you are, but you remind me of them, and they remind me of you because they're so sweet and so loving. But I thank you for the investments you've made. We've now, PCO, we've shared in 110 countries. And last week I got to share the gospel with a fellow in Sudan. And uh, we have the father-daughter banquet still going on. We started to have one at Center Point, And they said, all, all we have is about uh, eight or nine Hispanic uh, girls. So that's all you'll have. Well, we had uh, eight or nine Hispanic girls and 70 others. And then we decided to have a widow's banquet. And they said, well, our widows are just too old. Said, if everybody comes that can, you'll only have 22. Well, we had 23. (laughs) But, you know, I don't care if we have 12. I love serving, doing those. So let's look around the room. Of course, Tommy just pops out, Pat. And I don't want to name names. Everybody just, I could go around all night telling stories about how you've encouraged me. So I thank you for it. Only thing I was intimidated a little bit by was that Clint and Susan were sitting in front of me and I was trying to sing. (laughs) No, Clint just shook his head. I don't blame him. If you will, turn to 2 Chronicles, or as Brother Gary would have said, 2 Chronicles, chapter 7 and verse 14. And I want to address something very serious tonight. And of course, you know, I'm going to say something controversial So don't be surprised. Don't go tell Brother John, hey, you brought him in here and he said something controversial. Because the stuff I'm going to say tonight, I've said before. So just know I'm going to say something controversial and get over it. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We could ask the question, when did God change his mind? When did God change his mind about what he's doing? Well, he never has. When did God change his mind about 2 Chronicles 7.14? Because I've got to tell you something. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is not working. I had the privilege this week of meeting with uh, Franklin Graham. Showed Clint the pictures down in Montgomery. And I'm trying to serve uh, wherever he's asked me to serve. I'm real proud of Franklin Graham and Billy Graham. But in 1949, Billy Graham said, My prayer for America is 
that we'll turn back to God, that we'll have a nationwide revival. And 60 years later, he said, it hasn't happened. Now, we believe Billy Graham is probably the essence of Christianity for us, isn't he? And if God's not answering his prayer, he's certainly not answering our prayer on 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. I've been to many meetings in this church where we claim that verse and nothing happened. I've seen these big get-togethers of 714 and they'll pray this verse and nothing happens. So when did God change his mind about 2 Chronicles 714? Well, he has it. So the problem's not with God or his word. The problem is with us. Let's look at the verse. If my people... Which, by the way, indicates that the problem in society is not the liberals, it's not the Democratic Party, it's not the kooks. The problem in America is laid at the feet of we who are Christians. Because it says, if my people, which are called by my name, Christians. Now here's where the misunderstanding comes. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Now you see in our English belief, we think the word humble means to be meek and mild and give others the credit and all that. Well, that's good. But you know what? When the New Testament Greek was written, there were no languages known as English. They were Greek. And Latin. And so that word in the Greek, humble yourself, means this. It means to bend the knee in obedience. So if my people, which are called by my name, shall bend the knee in obedience and pray and seek my face. And by the way, when we bend the knee in obedience and pray, God will bring to mind what we're doing wrong. And then what, it say, what it, does it say we should do? And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin and heal their land. So I want to look tonight just for a few minutes. And when did God change his mind? When did God change his mind about scripture? When was scripture no longer our guide? Did God change his mind? Now the saddest statement from a Christian is that I have no hope. But the second saddest statement a Christian can utter is this. Well I know that's what the Bible says, but I'm going to do something else. We need to get back to letting the scripture be our guide. You see, there are three things Satan tempts us with. I want to go over them right quick. Number one is just to doubt it. What did Satan say to Eve? Hath God really said? Does the Bible really teach you should be pure? Does the Bible really teach whatever? You question God's word. 
And there's no need to do it. And we'll see that in just a moment. So one thing Satan tries to do is get us to doubt. Another thing he tries to get us to do is just keep the word from us. If you'll remember the dark ages, does anybody know why they were called the dark ages? Because the scripture wasn't in the light. The church decided to withhold scripture from the common people. They can't understand it, so let's keep it in Latin and let's keep it locked up where they can't get to it. We'll tell them what to do. But that didn't work either. You see, because men decided to translate the Bible into English, they gave their lives for it. In fact, one time Carol and I were in a large church, and uh, we were in a Sunday school class. There was probably about a hundred in there, and, and the guy said, somebody read, and he called out a verse. So I opened my Bible, and I read it. This was out in California. I read it out of the King James. And the Sunday school teacher started laughing. He said, what did you read that out of, Shakespeare? Well, I looked over at Carol and she went. (laughs) So I didn't say anything, but here's what I wanted to say. I read out of a version of the Bible that people gave their lives for. That the Protestant Reformation started with and that millions have been saved with. What version did you read out of? But I'm here to say I'm not a King James onlyer because English wasn't around when the Greek New Testament was written. But what I am saying is this. We need to get versions of the Bible that are word-for-word translations, look them up in the Greek, and obey what it says. But Satan wasn't finished. He tried to... Get Eve to doubt. Adam and Eve ate that apple. And mankind has had indigestion ever since. But he tried to keep the word locked up. But men gave their lives to spread it. And here's Satan's most wicked attack of all. It occurred in 1947. When a little shepherd boy was out keeping his sheep. And he lost some of them. And he came up to a cave and he threw a rock in the cave trying to run the sheep out. Instead of running the sheep out, he heard something go clink. And he went into the cave, what's known now as Cave One, and he discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now that was one of the greatest archaeological discoveries in our time. But here's where we messed up. We immediately rushed to declare that because we found some fragments in a cave, that the Bible was true. We don't need to find fragments in a cave to know the Bible's true. God's word is truth, and we don't need a shepherd boy finding fragments to confirm that. You see, if we have a scientist that comes along and says the Bible is true, that doesn't increase my faith in the Bible one bit. It might increase my faith in that scientist a little bit that he finally did his homework. Now, they said, well, wait a minute. These scrolls are older, therefore they're better. So we can throw away the King James and the NSV and all these others that we already have. We can just throw them away. No, that's not what we should have done. 
We should have said, yeah, they confirm scripture. But maybe they were discarded in a cave and in a little better shape because they had some arrows in them. But let me tell you young folks this. You can be sure we have the copies of the originals. Because of the 5,998 manuscripts that we drew the Textus Receptus from, there's only about 20 eras, and those are mainly structural. Not one word or one doctrine has changed. So we can have confidence in God's Word. So find out what God's Word says and act upon it. When did God change His mind about His Word? He has it. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. But the main problem is we as Christians just have a Bible on the table with dust on the cover. Let's get into the word. Don't answer it out loud, of course, or raise your hand. How many of you are reading the Bible through this year? How many of you meditate upon God's word? Is anybody in here in their early 20s? We have any early 20s? <laughs> Christy? Okay. That's what I thought. Hey, let me tell you what I did. In my early 20s, with my parents' permission, I just got away for a little while. And I said, I'm going to find out what God's word says about an issue. And that's what I'm going to do. If my people, which are called by my name, shall bend the knee in obedience... But you know what we want to do in American Christianity? We want to say, God, what is your will for me? And then I'll decide. That's not worth much. Come to the Lord with a blank check saying, whatever you say, that's what I'll do. When did God change his mind about scripture? He never has. I'm so sick of all these new versions of the Bible. I mean, there's one for everybody. There's one for a turkey hunter. There's one for a deer hunter. There's one for a bride-to-be. There's one for a baseball player. There's just one for anything you want. And the sad thing about that now is the homosexuals have published one that's sodomite-friendly. Ravi Zacharias said, why do we need another version of the Bible? We don't obey the one we have. Ken Collier said this, we have Bibles for everybody. We have Bibles for Protestants, Bibles for Catholics, Bibles for Evangelicals, Bibles for hunters, Bibles for fishers. If somebody told me that we had a Bible for divorced, charismatic, Lithuanian plumbers with brown hair, I'd believe them. What I'm saying to you is, let's get back to the book. Find out what God's word says about it and then do it. When did God change his mind about his word? He hasn't. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Secondly, when did God change his mind about the sanctity of marriage? There was a film out called It's About Time where a guy traveled from the 1800s to the late 1900s. 
And he said that his culture was shocked that the divorce rate was 5%. The guy laughed at him and said, ours is 50%. When did God change his mind about marriage? He hadn't. Take your time. Hey, this is free advice. Take your time. Marry the right one and then stay with them. For better, for worse, in sickness and in health until death do we part. Now, I have to confess that I married up. And some of my counseling sessions, I'll say, well, marriage is easy for you because you married Carol. I said, that's right. But sometimes marriages are hard. Sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes your mate will not change. Stay with them anyway. Because you see, we've got to focus on eternity. You may do something dumb and cut your hand off. God will forgive you for cutting your hand off, but he won't put it back on. But in eternity, you'll have that hand. So the last few weeks, people have come to me and said, you don't understand. My mate has cheated on me a number of times. And I just think God wants me to be happy. Now, I try to say this more gently than I'm going to say right now. But I say, show me where that is in the Bible. That God wants you to be happy. Now, those of you who have been Christians for a while, you know what I'm about to say. But those of you that are younger, maybe not. But here it is. Listen to this. God doesn't fix every problem down here. You may still have a child that dies of cancer, though you poured your heart out in prayer. Your mate may never change. You may cry and beg for some relative or friend to be saved and they not be saved. God doesn't promise to fix everything down here. That's the reason we have to live for eternity. Put on your big boy pants and stay with it. I'm so sick of these guys after they get a girl pregnant the second time saying I'm out of here. I tell them you're out of here before you started. Get back in there and be a man. Stay with them. Work it out. Develop character. I'm not fussing at you. I'm saying it because I love you. If you'll work through difficulties, God will make you happy. But when you just swap problems, you're going to have more problems. One man for one woman for one lifetime. One time I was in a session, we had a married conference retreat, and I was teaching this, one man for one woman for one lifetime, no exceptions. In fact, I, didn't I see where y'all just celebrated 50-something years or 60, Tommy? How many? 50? How many? 43. Isn't that wonderful? Let's give him a hand. 43 years of marriage. Hey, nobody can beat the Purdy's though, Right? They had 111 years of marriage or something like that. But anyway, I was in this conference saying one man for one woman for one lifetime. And I could tell this guy in the back was getting aggravated. And when I finished, he slammed his book and he said, well, you can say that because you've never met my wife. And after listening to his description of his wife, I was sort of glad I'd never met his wife. And he let me have it. 
right there in front of the group. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's antiquated. That's Old Testament. I guess God changed his mind. But I let him finish. And so I said this. I said, well, let me ask. Do you have any children? He said, yeah, I have a daughter. I said, do you want her to go through the heartache that you've gone through? He said, no. And I said, well, then you think that one man for one woman for one lifetime would be the best, don't you? He said, yeah. And much to my surprise, he stayed for the next session. And then we went home overnight and much to my surprise, he came the next day and stayed all day. Because you see, this is not something new. This is something we ought to do. If my people, which are called by my name, shall bend the knee in obedience, one man for one woman for one lifetime. But you know what? It goes a little deeper than that. It goes to the heart. I'm so grateful by the grace of God that I can stand here tonight and say that I've never known any woman except my wife. And that means after marriage. And since I've gotten married, my lips have never touched another woman. But that's not enough. God wants us to have a pure heart. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. So if you would, pray for me that I'll have a pure heart. You see, anybody can fall. Carol and I had a one-on-one conversation with Robert Bentley when he was running for governor the first time. To me, there was no doubt he loved the Lord, he loved his wife. And I even knew one of the church members where he went, and I called them. And this man said, I've known him for 40 years, he's the real deal. He and his wife have been married for 50 years. You say, well, Miss Mason tempted him. No, he was tempted by his own lust and he failed. But let's not be too hard on him. He's our governor. Let's pray for him. There's people that are calling for his removal. My call to him, and I saw him Thursday, is that he'll renew his relationship with his wife and they'll get back together. Because we believe... One man, for one woman, for one lifetime. When did God change his mind about marriage? He never has. All right, we're just now getting warmed up. So here comes the controversial part. Make sure you have the mic up back there where to be on full recording. When did God change his mind about the special blessing of children. You see, in the Old Testament, the ladies were dying to have children. Well, today in America, we'll die if we have them. Less desire children. When I was young and growing up, my grandmother said, How many children do you want to have? I said, Twelve. <laughs> hey, Couldn't you imagine for a minute 12 little Haneses running around here? (laughs) But you know what I did? I fell into the trap of the world and I wanted to limit children. I said, I don't know if they'll make me happy or not. There we go again with that happiness. 
In fact, I heard of one British industrialist who went to one of his workers' house and the worker lined up seven children there in a row and the owner came in and said, these are they that make men poor. And that worker said, nay, my Lord, these are they which make men rich. Desire children. And I also fell for the lie of taking birth control pills. Let me say to you, because I love you, if you're in that era where you're still able to have children, don't take birth control pills. We might have taken, our parents might have taken them through ignorance. But studies, medical studies, well documented show now that they can cause a chemical abortion. Don't take them. But more than that, let's go to the heart of the matter. Less desire to have children. Now, my kids have said, Dad, uh, you didn't have the 12 you wanted, but quit pushing us for 12. I said, I'm not pushing for 12. I'll be satisfied with 30. Five and 30. 30 divided by five. That's just six each. That's workable, isn't it, Ben? Amen. Let's have those children. Some of you say, well, I love grandchildren. Well, let me tell you a secret. You got to have children before you can have grandchildren. It just works that way. Adrian Rogers said the reward for not killing your own kids is grandkids. <laughs> Amen? All right. Well, I've only got 11 more points. So let's get going here. I really don't. But I could say, when did God change his mind about social issues? You know, there was a time in our country when everybody, we had a constitutional amendment and every preacher of every major denomination preached against liquor. Now we have Christians who defend it. When did God change his mind? He hasn't. And by the way, if you find a verse like Proverbs 20 verse 1 that says wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and you don't like that, just get you another version. It'll say something else and you can go by that. No, let's get back to God's word. Well, what is the point? Hey, don't even need to mention the Sabbath. When did the Lord change his mind about the Lord's day? Now in good old Oxford, Alabama, you can drive by on Sunday morning and they're practicing ball on Sunday morning. When did God change his mind about the Lord's day? What's the answer? He didn't. So if we're going to have revival, we got to get back to the book. Now I've talked about some outward things, but mainly it starts in the heart. So here's what I'm going to ask you tonight. Will you have a heart to go by what God's word says? Just say to the Lord, if God's word says it, and I'm sure it does, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to do it. Let's get back to God's word. And regardless of where you are in your marital relationship, let's say, God, I believe in one man for one woman for one lifetime. And I'm going to stay with it. Dr. Dobson shares a story about a young couple out in California had just been married about six weeks and they were in a terrible wreck and the girl was torn up part of her spinal cord was severed and her face was disfigured and the doctor was explaining to the husband 
said, your wife will never be able to reverse this. My advice to you, you're a handsome young man, a career man. My advice to you is just have her institutionalized and you go on, marry somebody else and go on with your life. You know what he said? He said, I believe in one man for one woman for one lifetime. He said, can my wife still hear? Doctor said, yes. He walked over and got in her face and said, honey, I love you. And no matter what, I'm staying with you. And then he twisted his lips to try to match her contorted lips and gave her a kiss and said, I love you. He didn't look for an excuse. I need to be happy. I need to be fulfilled. (laughs) No, he stood by the principles of scripture. So we tonight say, I know God had changed his mind about his word and I'm going to obey it. I know that God's ideal is one man for one woman for one lifetime and I'm going to obey it. And I know that children are a special blessing and I'm going to serve them. If you already passed children and don't have any children, find some children to minister to. Jesus said, suffer the little children, forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So let's serve children and let's get back to the book. Now I may have missed yours tonight and didn't list it. And that's the reason I said the most important thing is from the heart. So let me ask you, if you'll make this commitment tonight and I'm going to make it too. And that is to let God have my whole heart. And Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. Here am I, send me. Some of you are old enough that your children are out of the house And you could be a full-time missionary now. You say, well, God hadn't called me. Well, look at the book. When he announced that to Samuel and others, they were just standing around. And one of them, he looked at the crowd and he said, here am I, send me. So just say to the Lord, here am I, send me. He may choose to send you and he may not. But let's stand by the Lord. I have never regretted saying yes to Jesus. And you won't either. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are eternal and you never change. And help us to bend the knee in obedience and follow you so that we'll have revival in our country. And God, the sense among many leading Christians is that if we don't do that, you're going to send your wrath and destruction upon America. So help us to turn before that occurs. But either way, we thank you for your mercy. We love you. We give you our whole heart. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would, let's stand for a time of uh, invitation. If the Lord leads you, we're going to turn it over here to uh, y'all.